Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming out on this uh, really sunny afternoon um, to join us here at the National Theatre. I'm Tazine Emmett. I'm a reporter on Channel 4's Dispatches, and I also work in emotional intelligence. And um, I've got two amazing people here who need no introduction. Uh, but, you know, today is about, this afternoon is about sort of giving you guys a chance to enhance your National Theatre experience, get a glimpse behind the scenes, and also talk to these guys a little bit um, at the end about uh, their work. Um, so could you please give these two stars, Anne-Marie Duff and Rory Kinnear, a big warm round of applause. So I'd, um, I'd encourage you to, to tweet or Facebook or whatever social media platform you're on. And at sort of 20 minutes before the end, I will go to the audience for questions. If you could just save your questions till then, and I'll give you some instructions about how to go about doing that so everybody or as many people as possible get a chance to ask their questions. And um, today's Monday, and I came in and I said to these guys, I thought this was their day off. But actually, they're working after they've done all of this with, with us. It's a really intense play, and I just wondered how on earth you'd managed to do that day in, day out, um, and still give it you know, the best possible shot. <laughs> um, well, luckily at the National Theatre, you're not on every night. Uh, so you do get breaks built into your schedule. And I'm usually pretty good at leaving behind a character or a play um, when, I, when I leave the building. And I just find it easier, obviously, to carry on my own life without it once, once you're out of rehearsals. In rehearsals, it's a different story. You kind of do get uh, swallowed up by it. And you're constantly thinking about the character and the process. And obviously, you're learning lines and new things are happening all the time. And, uh, and particularly with a play like this, you, know, I tr you try and hold off for a couple of weeks before you know you're about to be swallowed up by it completely. Um, and, you know, it, unfortunately, the, the tagline of sleep no more does, uh, does kick in uh, about two or three weeks into rehearsal. And, um, and it, yeah, it does become a sort of uh, awaking and constant concern. Once you're sort of into the run of it, I tend to find, uh, okay, I know where I, I can leave it there, and when I come back into the building, I'll pick it up again and you know, see what happens night to night. Uh, I found with this play, it has, it has lingered. Um, and you never know, you know residually what it's taking out of you. You never are aware you know, what is, well, you know, how your body is affected, obviously by the tiredness of the physical stuff, but of the, uh, you know, emotionally as well. Your body doesn't know you're lying, um, and you are putting it through these um, traumatic events, you know, at, um, uh, to the best of your abilities in terms of the truth of it. Um, so, yeah, I, I do, I, you know, you get to the end of a run of, you know, plays that I've done where they have, you know, they had a, a greater emotional heft, and you do feel slightly wiped out by it. And, all the way through, you're probably thinking, no, I'm, I'm fine, I'm just tired physically. But I think actually the, the emotional uh, effect is, is, um, does, does build. Mm. And Anne-Marie? I guess it's also, you only do these plays for a finite time. So you know you're going to need a certain amount of physical and emotional energy for that period. So you can kind of commit to it in that way. And there's a sort of momentum that comes about as a storyteller from, you know, the energy you expend weirdly can give you more energy. It's a funny old thing. Because um, you develop a muscle for each show, a different muscle. Uh, so I don't 
you know, you do, you're all pooped at the end of the night or whatever, but it's such a great job, you know, that you, it's, isn't it amazing to be tired from doing something that you love? It's not a weariness, it's not a, you're not unfulfilled. Mm. So I suppose, yeah, it's hard graft, but it's what you want. Mm. So it's, it's, it's different in a way. But yeah, sometimes you can feel a bit wrung out emotionally working on different productions. There's always osmosis and there's always things seep into you and, and sometimes you're very happy to leave behind a character. I remember once when I was doing a show at the Donmar, it was all about a huge breakup. And I just wanted to eat junk food all the time. And I was eating all this crap. And I was like, why am I doing this? And I was oh, yeah, because I'm breaking up with a man I love every single night. <laughs> but, you know, so it creeps into you. But I think, yeah, I think you get, you get a nice kind of buoyancy from it, even though that seems odd when you're not part of it. Mm, and, and a play like this where, you know, as you say, it's very traumatic. Two and a half hours every night. Do you feel that? I mean, are you really experiencing it rather than just sort of showing us that you're experiencing it? Well, it it's exactly what Rory says. Firstly, you, your body doesn't know you're fibbing, you know. Mm. But also, you have to be as truthful as you can be. So it is a funny old thing, you know. You do, when you're inside of something, you have to truly believe you're inside of it. But at the same time, there still has to be that membrane saying, this isn't really my experience. Um, so it's a kind of tightrope that you walk. It's interesting, you know, because you want people to know that you're, heart, you're heartbroken or you're grieving or you're whatever. You want people to buy it. You don't want people to go, oh, that's very clever. Isn't that very clever the way they look like they are? Mm. <laughs> you want people to just forget and go, oh my God, I feel that too sometimes or whatever. So it's, um, yeah, it's, 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 it, it, it is tricky. You have to take care of yourself, but at the same time, rip yourself open. And I guess it's just age teaches you how to do that. Mm. Without going crazy. Well, you make it sound easy, but I bet it isn't. But it's just what we do, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we, nobody's forcing us to do this. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 we chose to be actors because we loved it. And to be able to, you know, as Anne-Marie says, you know, it's the privilege of saying these words um, as much as investigating the characters that behind the words. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's as good as it gets, really, in, um, in terms of, you know, the, the uh, poetic imagination on show um, in you know, nearly all of his work, but this one particularly, um, and, and to work out the, the psychological detail in something which, you know, act to act, um, progresses so fast. Uh, and it, it really sort of, sort of jump cuts uh, into, you know, scenes of, you know, the states of emotional breakdown um, and, you know, the acts of, good people or people doing the wrong thing despite knowing that they shouldn't. You know, they are moral people, the Macbeths, uh, because they're aware of having uh, c committed um, an immoral act, uh, as opposed to, you know, Richard III or something like that. Were these, were these two parts, parts that you long wanted to play, or, you know, when you come to acting when you were younger, did you think, oh, it would be wonderful to play this part? Um, I... You can lie. No, I mean, I, I, gen, generally, my career has been a surprise. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess in the back of your head, you thought about, you know, uh, playing big parts, but you never took it for granted or presumed that anyone was going to ask you. Um, I've been, what I wanted to do when I was young, and I came, used to come here as a, as a, as a boy, was work here. This is what I thought acting meant. Um, and this is where I thought I saw the best stuff and where I got inspired to act. So obviously to be able to play these 
you know, hugely challenging and engaging and, um, uh, yeah, exhausting roles uh, in the place that you first were inspired to become an actor is a huge privilege. Um, so it, Macbeth is my probably my favourite play to read. Um, I, I've seen several productions and... Um, and it's it's a really difficult play, and I, I'm always I was always interested to see the disparity between what you read and what what what, what you then produce. And I think um, and I think I was really excited by by that challenge. It's, it's funny that the play itself deals so much with the gap between imagination and reality, uh, between thought and act, uh, and it's the, the play that itself, I think, you know, every, well, lots of people study it at school, and lots of people don't necessarily see it first, um, and that's the same probably with, you know, with studying Shakespeare in, in school in general, that you tend to have your own imagination of what these plays are before you, before you get to see them. And, uh, and, and Anne-Marie, for you, with Lady Macbeth, was that a role that you came to feeling worried or anxious or intimidated by? or um, well, I, Could you identify with her? Yeah, weirdly, I, I, could, I can. Uh, I had played Lady Macbeth before a few years ago, but not in London. I played it in New York, so I had been in, a wee bit inside her head before. Um, but I'd always been very angry about the way that people perceive her and how she's become a sort of, you know, a reference point for a certain kind of female behaviour. makes me really angry. And um, because I know the play, and people generally use that, she, you know, they'll accuse a woman that they think is the dark shadows behind a man as being like very Lady Macbeth or whatever. Just, she's just some excuse for his bad behaviour which isn't what Shakespeare writes at all, you know, and um, they really are Bonnie and Clyde, they're in it together, you know, and, um, and as Rory pointed out, actually earlier on, they both have a real sense of morality, and so I was very interested in that, and also, I mean, you know, Shakespeare lets us know that they are parents grieving, you know, she talks about having nursed a baby. We know that they've lost a child just from tiny things that are said. And so I'm also fascinated by the way people behave when they're inside grief and things that they will do to have a sense of future or to stay alive themselves. Or, and they can sometimes be extraordinarily complex and seemingly unforgivable but because they may see there's no other way out because they're so inside the well of something. And I think that's really interesting about her. So I think it's a great, um, she'd be great to sit in a therapist's chair, wouldn't mm. she? Mm. To really break her down and try and understand what she's looking for, what she's so hungry for at the beginning of the play that she encourages this to happen. Mm. So when you, when you both came to these two characters, what was your research process? Did you, you obviously read the play, but did you read other things around it? Did you, did you watch films? Do you have a process of your own? Um, I... Uh, obviously, Macbeth is a, um, is a soldier, uh, or at least uh, you know, someone who's uh, engaged in uh, battle um, and fighting. 
Um, and uh, I guess uh, I played Iago here a few years ago and had looked into the, the cumulative effect of... He was quite good. Uh, he was all right. <laughs> um, uh, of uh, cumulative effect of soldiery um, and, the, and contemporary accounts of, of soldierdom as well as, you know, stuff from the First World War. And um, uh, but you can do as much as, as, as is useful. The, the, the part itself and the play itself is so propulsive um, that, uh, as with sort of all the big Shakespeare's, you have to know the, the man or the, the people that they were before the play started to have any hope of um, engaging with them as the, as the, as the cards continue to tumble. Um, you always only get to see, particularly your sort of principal protagonists in these plays, very briefly, if at all, as the person that they were before. Um, you know, Hamlet's dad is already dead, his mother's already remarried, Iago's already been passed over for promotion and is, already suspects his wife of having slept with the Othello. Um, Angelo is you know, just uh, promoted beyond his means at the very beginning of the play. You never get to spend any time. Most writers these days would, would you know, send, spend 10 minutes setting up their character to see how it had changed. You sort of have to build the character in reverse as an audience and of, obviously as, a, as an actor. Um, so in terms of, in terms of you know, looking, uh, looking ahead for the play and what you can possibly research, you sort of just have to let the, the words guide you on that front because you can look, in, look into uh, the effects of trauma or the effects of guilt or you know, psychosis at some points. Um, but if it's not marrying up with what Shakespeare's writing, then you're just sort of shoehorning your own reference in for the, for the sake of it. Um, so it was just that, qu that quest, and you know, that only comes alive when you see what the production is and what the design is and what the world you're, what you're, you're existing in. You can't really formulate that character until you see that. Mm. And Marie? Um, I think Macbeth's quite curious in as much as it's a sort of... It's, it's very singular, isn't it? It's uh, the kind of play that's so open to uh, a director being as inventive as they, as they want, in a way, because it's such an extraordinary landscape. We know it's full of magic and murder and sex, and, you know, you think you can kind of throw anything at it and see if it sticks. So I think you do need to establish where you are, what this world is, what our Macbeth is. Mm. And then that's a really great starting point for you then to do all of the bits and bobs that actors do. And if it's, you know, set in McCarthy, America and McCarthyism, you know, then you could go, okay, let's start there. And then that's my research, you know, or whatever. But it's such a sort of interesting canvas, isn't it? And so it has a great effect on the way that you interpret the characters, I think. Um, apart from that, the tangible stuff, I suppose I always tend to work on the, what's going on in their noggins and what's going on in their hearts and try to make the characters this seem like someone you could be standing next to on the tube in a weird way and that they have nerve endings and appetites and all of those things. I find that quite interesting, you know, mm. and fathoming them. Well, I guess I'm also wondering whether you sort of sit down and talk to, you know, do you, do you unpack this on your own or do you sit with somebody and think about this character and develop it? Well, um, and obviously you do as a team, it. don't yeah. you, when you do with your director, but I wondered if you do that separately too. It depends on the production and it mm. depends on the director if they encourage that or if they would rather you did that by yourself and then bring it into the room. 
I mean, we did a lot of talking, didn't we, I suppose? Mm. So each, each, each uh, rehearsal process is very specific and unto itself, you know. And, and do you think it's important when you play a role like this, in a role so big, um, that you need to be able to identify with a character in some way? Like you find a way to be like them or find a way there is, there is something in you that's similar to them? Or is it, you know, in order to really live it? Or, or are you just such a great actor that you can put it on and then just put it, put it away? Just, yeah. give me, just give me the boots. <laughs> um, uh, I do tend to find, I have to find, I have to find where the character sits in me. Mm. Uh, you know, we've all got the capability to be billions of different people um, and we've all got you know we've all had the potential to live different billion different lives according moment to moment the decisions or the effects that, that life have taken on us um, so you know I don't, I don't think I don't I don't want to be myself in every role um, whoever that is um, <laughs> but uh, I, I do I can feel when something slots in um, and when you're forcing it um, and uh, and sometimes you, you know, with a part like this, you have a notion of what you think the character should be, and obviously audiences do as well. And um, and it's some, you sometimes run the risk of being distracted by that because uh, you might think, well, that that's I don't think that's who I am, or I don't necessarily have that in me. Mm. But then you know these roles are so elastic and um, you know able to wrap themselves around so many different people. That's why we keep doing them. Um, that uh, that you just have to when you feel well when you feel your instinct telling you yes that's that you can go along that line and and, you know, and and it's sitting in the right place you just have to trust that people will go along with you as well. I think it's quite nice in a way as an actor because you have to be really honest with yourself about certain things you know and I could ask any person in the audience what would you kill for what would you kill for you know it's a really good starting place somebody hurt my son I know. I'd have such an animal response to that. I could potentially kill somebody. You know, and you think, we're, like Rory says, we're all only one step away from certain things, aren't we? From being homeless or from being so hurt by somebody or, you know. So it's, it's you, you, the imagination is incredibly elastic. Mm. It's really plastic, you know, you can go to lots of different places. So it's about being honest, isn't it? And saying, we, we are all, that we all have this weird cellular connection, which means we're all capable of... And, it, and, and it's good, it encourages empathy. And that's what, I think actors are pretty cool like that. They're all incredibly empathetic people. And, um, and it's about asking, really, really honest with yourself, about your behavior, about the way you think, about the way you feel. And, 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 and there's a kindness in that then, isn't there? And saying, when in your interpretation, you're not judging, you have to kind of you have to kind of love Richard III if you're playing him. And that's weird. Or even Myra Hindley, you know, and that's weird. But in order for you to tell the story well and properly, you, you do, don't you? You have to mm. go, go there, you know, and, and, be, and make them have a truth. Because if there's no truth inside, who cares? I mean, do you think what you're describing is sort of humanising them? Well, it is, yeah. Mm. And what did you think of Rufus Norris's interpretation, the sort of bleak, brutal, dystopian interpretation that he had when you know, it was sort of pitched to you in the first instance? I think it marries well with the play. You know, we talked a lot about notions of 
you know, what, you know, we talked about civil war, post-civil war scenarios. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, the idea of if you lived in a world where you took away the welfare state, how long would it be? How soon would it be before we all started to look to magic or superstition just to get through the day or the week or, you know, all of these things, didn't we? And so I think it, it fits well. But. Also, that's, that sense of stripping uh, a country or a, a people of material comfort. I mean, it's, it, and that they have, you know, most of them, sort of us and the older ones had experienced a life before that they knew the sense of loss that they had. But at the same time, here is, they, they've made it through, they're still alive. So that, you know, the idea of power structures or the idea of wanting to be king, moving forward, they, they, will, have a, they will have a heft. You know, it does mean something. And the fact that even in the most brutalized and broken down of societies, someone will still want to lead it. Um, the leadership of, of, you know, uh, and the potential for renewal or the potential for riches to come back to this country means that if you are, you know, you want to be at the, the some people, some people want to be at the forefront of the leadership of that country. Um, but also for, for, for the Macbeths that, you know, how that must um, strip away your nerve endings, living that life, having seen both your country, your friends, your families destroyed, uh, and a world in which you know you have so very few material comforts or possessions, the, the death of your own child, but also presumably the death of lots of other children, um, that your your sensitivities are just so raw that people will always, you know, in those situations, people make all kinds of decisions. And it, it, sometimes, it sort of rationalizes further the irrational decision that A, that Macbeth believes these, these voices, these, uh, these apparitions, B, that his wife feels similarly in the moment. You know, there's a sense of, you know, the old GCSE question of, is, are, the, are the witches or Lady Macbeth more responsible for Macbeth killing Duncan. Well, I mean, Macbeth's pretty responsible as well. I mean, you know, <laughs> he, he, he is involved. Um, and, 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 and he, you know, uh, he immediately summons up the image of killing Duncan when the, when the witches uh, suggest that um, he could be king. Uh, it's his idea first. Um, they, don't, they don't tell him to kill him. Uh, and it's, it, it's the simpatico between the two of them that is the suggestion, albeit, you know, you see perhaps Macbeth wrestling more, he's afforded more of the soliloquizing, at least, to, to wrestle with the idea. But you see Lady Macbeth in Act Three herself when she's afforded time by her own, having exactly the same thoughts that Macbeth is. I mean, you just alluded to, you know, she's, Lady Macbeth is one of the most famous Shakespearean characters. Did you, what did you think about her, you know, as a, in terms of sort of what she represents, you know, what we're thinking about today, about, I guess, hashtag Me Too and hashtag Time's Up, and, you know, Lady Macbeth, what, what, what would she have made of these times that we're in? The same as me and you, I guess. Yeah? Yeah. She's a woman in the world, you know. She's a real woman, and if we say she's a real woman, the same as you and I, that you need to change things. Um, you know, that's what I was, suppose I was saying earlier on, you know, she's not a sort of 
she's, you, it's really important that, for me as a storyteller, that she's a person. She's not just some sort of idea of something. So yeah, I think she would be very vocal about it, same as us. Yeah, I, I think that's... Okay. Um, would you guys have played these roles differently if it was um, on a smaller stage, in a more traditional context? Probably, in as much as you'd have found to... Because it's like having a conversation with somebody. It, it, like, if I'm talking to you here now, this is where we talk. If I'm talking to that lady down there, this is how I talk. You know, so you just shift the conversation. It also depends on the production too. The, you know, like I, I was saying, the confines of the concepts as well. That would affect the way that you would play it. You know, or a different director might say, I, I see this more. I, this is our focus more. And, mm. You know, it's, it's sort of... You know, it's a, there's no definitives. That's the great thing with a great yarn. You can really future around with them, you know. Mm. What about for you, Rory? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, I, you know, you questioned the notion of a traditional context, really, for a, for a play like this. I mean, um, uh, you know, a play that is written about uh, a time, you know, presumably when, when it was first performed, they would have been doing it in contemporary dress. Um, you know, they weren't doing it necessarily in 11th century Scottish, because um, they might not have had the wool. Um, uh, and so in some ways, you know, we're sort of doing it traditionally. Um, and, uh, you know, you're giving a, you're trying to create a, um, a, a, a context for the play that, that makes sense for it. I mean, obviously the most, difficult thing about this play traditionally is, is the notion of witches and the supernatural, um, and particularly in a, in a society such as ours today. Um, and it was saying something about you know, 14th century Scotland, but it was also obviously saying something about early 17th century England, uh, which doesn't necessarily hang with, you know, with what, what we have in this country at the moment. Um, so you, you have to find a, a content, you know, you, you can't necessarily shoehorn it into, a, into, you know, 1914 or whatever, you know. Um, uh, and, and, and for each production that you, you do, you, you know, that's basically where a director is going to earn their money, <laughs> is uh, with the witches scene and the apparitions. I mean, the, the, the rest of the play in some ways uh, is so strong and dynamic and, and relatable because it's largely about... Um, the relationships of these of these people uh, it's just this you know this weirdness at the beginning and halfway through the play um, but it's you know it's a weird play this it's um, it's it, you know you have to sort of you have to go along with it um, and to try and find a world where people don't necessarily go that doesn't that doesn't make sense mm -hmm. you know and I, I guess that's why we looked at something beyond our contemporary reality. Can you tell me a little bit about what it's like when you first start working together and rehearsing and you're trying on these characters for size for yourselves, but also to ensure that they work together? And, and actually, when I came in, these two, they're actually genuinely close friends. They were chatting away to each other about their children and other things. No, no, they really are. And um, it was really hard to get a word in edgeways, but I managed to after a while. Um, we were but you know, you two, are, you. So, you two are, are, such, are such good friends, and, and you said you knew each other a little bit before. But what's it like when you come to you know, a play like this you have to do for weeks on end, almost every night, twice a day sometimes, um, and sort of trying, trying the characters and sort of having your 
own dynamics between you as well. What, what, tell, tell us a little bit about what that process feels like and how you get through it. I, it's funny, I think you learn very quickly, actually, how easy it's going to be with somebody. It becomes apparent quite quickly, doesn't it, I think? Um, that I knew so early on in rehearsals, obviously Rory is a brilliant actor, but just that he's so open and easy to play with and and I felt you kind of have to be each other's parachutes, you know, when you're playing big emotional stuff so that you can leap off and you know the other one will be there for you. And um, that happened very, very quickly for me with this play. Uh, I never doubted that we would have a good time together. Um, and sometimes some people can be m more guarded and you have to tentatively try and get inside the, that little shell. But, um, and I think a lot of it has to do with being able to have a giggle together. Because that has an extraordinary effect of... It, it changes the vibration of the space between people. As soon as you can have a laugh with someone, doesn't it? it you feel like um, you're playing already, but also that the formality's gone and you... You know, I think that's really important. So I know that's not fantastically um, revelatory. <laughs> I've not changed anyone's life there. Mm. But uh, that's, I think that's my answer. Um, I, uh, I've, I, I've never really... Um, like Henry Duff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> A bit rude she finished my sentence for me, but um, <laughs> that I was going to say. Um, uh, I've never really liked... Uh, I've never... Uh, I don't like saying publicly or, th or admitting to the parts I want to play because um, you don't end up playing them. Um, or you don't necessarily <laughs> want a, a director to go, oh, yeah, I'd like to do it with him, rather than, you know, because I want it to come for a director wanting to do the play. Um, uh, but more often than not, you just don't get it to do. Um, uh, but in m my head, I'd, I'd wanted to play this part, and I'd always wanted to do it with Anne-Marie. Um, and uh, we got really fortunately paired together to do a scene of it um, on the telly for um, a, a gala thing at the RSC a couple of years ago. Uh, and I thought I'd chance my arm and say, you know, if you, if, if you have, if, would you ever want to do this? And she said, well, I've already done it. I thought, well, there's, there goes that chance. Um, but I lured her in. Um, uh, so I thought, I'd better be really good in this scene. Um, no, and uh, when she, um, you know, when Rufus then came and said, uh, how about doing the play? Um, and I, I said, can we do it with Anne-Marie? And she said, yes. That was kind of... Um, I, I, you know, I, I know Rufus really well, and I thought he, you know, his imaginative capabilities being brought on this play, play in particular, you know, I, I didn't have any worries. <laughs> and um, here's a segue from your from your relationship to Lady Macbeth and Macbeth's um, relationship. How do you how do you how would you describe that? I mean, there, there, I know there's some students, um, some sixth formers perhaps in the audience today. How, it's a GCSE question, isn't it? An A-level question. How would you describe that relationship? I always feel that they really love the bones of each other. Um, and they've been through so much together. But 
it's they're sort of a. I mean, it's that thing, isn't it? If you talk about them as being grieving parents, they imagine what their life would be, let's say, and their relationship would be, and then suddenly that there, there's a huge vacuum there. And what does it get filled with? You know, they're, they're sort of trying to find this sense of their together future, aren't they? But unfortunately, of course, it becomes so fractured. But so I, I and I and I know that Rufus was really keen on that being that there being no doubt that they loved each other, and it kind of being the spinal column of the play in a way was their relationship. And the sort of ferocity of their love and their tenderness, but also the pain that they shared. Every time they look at each other, they're a constant reminder of something they've been through or, you know, so I think it's quite, and it, it, you know, it's one of the happy, people joke, don't they, that it's one of the happy marriages in Shakespeare um, because you do feel they love each other and it's, it feels quite contemporary in that way, doesn't it, you know? It feels like, it feels very familiar, and that's a weird thing about it. I think that's why people sort of love their marriage, don't they? It feels weirdly familiar. There's something about that couple that people kind of really get. So um, that's my answer. I think it's the trajectory of the play in some ways, if it's going to be affecting or sad, is to see the breakdown of a, of a marriage of a couple that, that, that loved each other um, and, you know, maybe at the end realised, you know, that they still did, or at least Macbeth has afforded the time to realise that her death, uh, you know, his response to her death is to say, you know, I begin to be a weary of the sun, you know, he's, he gives up on life as, as after she does. Um, and they spend very little time with each other um, in it and you see them to, together uh, just before the murder of Duncan um, and then you see them together um, right, alone together um, sometime after it and, and the difference between those scenes is the, you know, the, the beginning of their, their marital dis disintegration as well as their own mental disintegration um, and, and that thing of if we do this, if we kill Duncan it are our, not only our lives and our well, material lives potentially, but our togetherness. Will we be happy again? You know, particularly in a world in which there must be so little happiness and obviously the loss of a child as well. That sense of what can we do to find happiness? Will this be it? Will, will status or um, safety or, you know, will people looking after us, um, will that give us happiness? And of course... You know, that provides them with this great moment of togetherness before the murder, which they never have again. Um, and it's from that moment on that, you know, their own lives and, you know, uh, psychologies spiral out of control, but also their, their relationship as well. Um, I've just got a final question for you guys. I started by saying, please do tweet um, tonight. And I was wondering, this afternoon, and I was wondering what it's like for you, for you as actors to be dealing with living in an age, the age of social media and Twitter. And, you know, we were saying backstage 20 or 30 years ago, you know, you, if, you, if you wanted to not read newspapers or read reviews, you didn't have to. But how do you deal with that, you know, the fact that when we, we live 
much more publicly and much more intimately and publicly now than we did before. So if there's a, a good, a bad, or a mixed review, it's there, and you've mm -hmm. got, you know, people have got direct access to you. Although, of course, the two of you don't have um, mm. Twitter accounts. Mm. That's no. one way of avoiding it. <laughs> That's yeah. it. You don't let them in that way. Keep your doors locked. Uh, and you don't Google, and you just avoid in a different way. I mean, that's the curious thing about the internet, isn't it? It's given us so many things, but at the same time, you know, we're looking at the mental welfare of young people, and we're really looking into that now. And, and you know, the whole notion of trolling and all of these things. And so, yeah, I don't connect with it. I have a son. He's eight years old. When he's a teenager, I suspect it will be part of his life and I'm going to have to connect with it and understand it more. But at the moment, and I hope that there will be some evolution where it becomes a better place, a better space. But um, it's not for me because I think it's... Um, there are all sorts of things, I think, that are attached to it. I think it's a great analgesic. People use it to sort of avoid getting on with their lives a little bit. Yeah. I worry about... Rory was talking about, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Macbeth looking for happiness. And there's this sort of great focus on likes. Will I be happy if I get 142,000 likes? Will I be happy if... You know, and so I'll keep scrolling through comments. I'll keep scrolling through comments... But unfortunately, what people focus on is all the negative stuff, like you talk about with reviews. You can't help it. You go to a party, 100 people tell you you look gorgeous. One person says, ah, oh, pal, did you not sleep last night? <laughs> That's the only conversation you're going to remember. Mm. You know, so I think it's just a way, for me, I just feel it's a way of protecting myself mm. because boundaries are really important and we have to be, you know, teach our kids that, don't we? I mean, it's really... So I'm quite, um, I think it's a way of just, yeah, just shutting the front door, you know, saying mm -hmm. this is what I'll allow into my life. I won't allow that in, thank you very much, and it's a way of doing that. But I know it's very difficult. Some people find it very hard not to. And I sound so preachy, I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I mean, it is avoidable. I mean, you, 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 you can avoid it. <laughs> I mean, you, it, it maybe requires a bit of self-control, but... Um, you can avoid it if you think it's going to uh, affect you. Um, uh, you try not to let it affect you. I mean, you know, it's a wonderful job and it's a privilege to do. Um, and you just have to keep reminding yourself that. And, um, and if, it's, you know, if it's a difficult part or a difficult uh, play, then don't let yourself you know, get affected by anything external. All you can concentrate on is, is what you're doing and the, and the relationships that you're developing within, within the cast and within, and within the plays. So, uh, and if you're, if you're not on social media, then it's, you, you don't get alerted to, to what people think of you. Have you deliberately chosen not to be for uh, that reason? Yeah, I don't like people. I told you, doesn't mean. But also, you know, it's art is a funny old thing. You know, and sometimes people en masse love something. And sometimes they don't. Mm. And it can be to do with the timing. It can be to do with lots of factors which, of which you have no control. All you can have, work, focus on is the heart of something and know that you're all in it. You're all doing your best to tell the story, the best way that you feel is possible at this moment in time. And sometimes that will click and sometimes it won't. You know, you look at Pinter. 
one of our greatest playwrights, and yet, you know, terrible reviews when his plays were first performed. So what are you going to do? Mm, and art is so subjective. One art is so love subjective. It, and again, to do with timing and fashion mm. and all of those things. And at times we're meant to hear certain stories and at other times we're not. You know, and it's really, it's an interesting thing. You just got to engage with your heart, aren't you, in life. Because it's the same with all of us every day, isn't it? The way we exist in the world. We can't, you can't live your life worrying too much about what everybody will think. Gosh, you go bonkers. We do have to wrap up now, I'm afraid, um, but please do give them a round of applause. Mm -hmm.